I pray those words would be true for us, that we would put all of our trust, all our hope, everything in Jesus Christ, our Savior. If you would, turn with me in your copy of God's Word to the Gospel of Mark. We'll be in chapter 12 this morning, continuing our series in the Gospel of Mark. Mark 12, we'll be starting in verse 13 this morning in our series on Mark. Interesting times that we live in these days, especially when you look at the political uh, climate, the, the social unrest, everything that's going on in the world is um, troubling, so to speak. Uh, we have this conflation of um, Christianity and, and the government and, and things of that nature. We've got various um, uh, social, racial unrest. Uh, there's a lot of things that are going on. And, and just a few weeks ago, we, we saw an insurrection. We saw a, a storm, or as they called it, on the Capitol, where uh, people went, went in and they broke windows and they um, vandalized. Uh, all the violence that is going on in the world today is just unthinkable. And so the question that some of us might ask is, would Jesus approve of this? Would Jesus be there in the crowd? Would he be one there uh, breaking down the windows? As we are protesting and violence breaks out, um, would Jesus be in those mists? We have to answer and ask those questions as we go through. Today's message is entitled, Is Jesus for the Government or Not? And Maybe years ago, this, this question would be unthinkable. It would be uh, 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 answered one way or another, but uh, most of us would be unified. But even as you look at the, the storm on the Capitol, you, we see the people uh, there in the Capitol, and they are knelt down, and they are, are praying. And we have to ask would this be something that we ought to do? Is this a life that we ought to be living? Is this how we should portray ourselves as followers of Christ? And as regardless of our political loyalties and regardless of our commitments, the question that we are faced with today is, should devoted followers of Christ obey the government? As crazy as things are in the U.S., Right now, the answer to this question would be very different if we were to live in a totalitarian government or a context where there's a tyrannical uh, dictatorship or structure. That, the answer to that question would be vastly different. So what do you do when you're asked to violate Scripture and your conscience? How should we respond when we're being asked to go against what God's word has said to us. This morning, we're going to jump into a text where Jesus is in the midst of controversy. And as we see in the lead up to this, this is not new for him. He's always in the middle of this controversy. Not that he's looking for it, but it's continuously being brought to him. He's in the midst of this controversy with religious leaders. Look with me in your copy of God's word. Mark chapter 12, we're starting verse 13. And God's word reads, and they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, teacher, 
We know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought him one and he said to them, whose likeness is in this inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, help us to remove all the preconceived notions that we have here today. Father, remove the lens that we view the world through and help us to dive into your word, dive into your scripture and read the words that are jumping off the page to us right here today. Help us to understand what this text means and what it looks like to the original hearers and help us to see how we might apply your God's, your, your word to, to us today. Not let us uh, read into the scripture what we want it to say, but to, to pull out of it is what, what did you want us and need us to hear, how you might have us to live and live for you. Father, just give me the words this morning to say and how to say them. Hide me behind the cross so people might see more of you and much less of me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. My Lord, my strength and my redeemer, whom I trust. So in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. So here we are having another discussion and oh, time after time, moment after moment, Jesus is, is out and, and people are uh, looking for him. Now, earlier in Mark, we saw people were seeking him out so that they can be healed of various ailments. Uh, we, we saw that, uh, hey, people were hearing about Jesus and I have this, this infirmity, uh, this thing I can't, the doctors can't help me, nobody can do anything for me, we need to go to this guy, I don't know who he is, but he's healing folks and I I need to get with him. We need to try him out. And now after he's, he's done that time over time and he's done miracle after miracle, now the, the religious structure that is in place, they feel threatened. This guy is coming up and he's, people are seeking him out and not us. And, and, and by the way, if you remember from last week, they're like, well, who do you get this authority from, right? We didn't give it to you. Who do you think you are? And here they are again, the Pharisees and the Herodians, coming through and they, it says in the text, it says they try to trap them. What we're seeing today is not anything new. Uh, the, the wisest man in the world said there's nothing new under the sun. Here we have the Pharisees in the text who were the conservative right-wingers of the time. And on the other side of the fence, we have the Herodians who were the liberals or what we would call the, the left-wingers who advocated for big government and such. Now, the Herodians were a political party of Jews who backed Herod Antipas, and he was more like a, a figurehead for them or merely a, a puppet, so to speak, for Rome. They opposed Jesus because he threatened their political advantage. And then we have the Pharisees again on the other side who hated Jesus because he was messing with their religious agenda. 
And so what we see today is not too much different than what we see here in the text this morning. But I want you to notice how Jesus brings these two normally divisive groups. He brings these two groups together. Look at that. Even though these uh, groups are diametrically opposed to each other, they have a common enemy in Jesus. Don't you love how Jesus brings people together? He breaks down these divisive groups. Their common ground was that they both wanted to get rid of Jesus and destroy him. The word trap here that we see, he says um, uh, the Pharisees and some of the Herodians, they came to trap him in his talk. And this, this word trap, it communicates a, a hunter who, who violently is pursuing his prey. That is the, the, uh, the thought process that they're going through as they're having conversations with Jesus. They are trying to take him down. In Luke 20 and 20, it says, So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he has said so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. Look and look what they say in, in verse 14. It says, And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and care not about anyone's opinion, for you're not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? There is a, a saying that goes, uh, um, flattery will get you everywhere. And this is exactly what they're doing. They're trying to flatter Jesus and, and get on his side like, hey, we've been watching you. We, we know kind of how you roll. And hey, it's, it's really cool what, what you're doing, right? You're, you're a great person. You don't care about the appearances. You don't care about it. And you really stick with God's word, man. You're one of the good ones. So answer me this question. After they butter him up and they, they want to, to, to set him up for the trap, right? So they, they want to put him at ease as they're having this conversation. And, and if he was any normal person, they like, yeah, I am. I don't care about any of this stuff. I, I am one of the good ones. Yeah, you're right. I, I love this stuff. Like, and, and so they, he puts his guard down. Most of us will put our guard down. And then they pop him with the question. So should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or not? Scripture tells us very differently about flattery and where it will get us. Proverbs 26 and 28, it says, A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Or Proverbs 29 and 5, a man who flatters his neighbor Spends, uh, spreads a net for his feet. So it's funny that they're trying to act as if they're being respectful, as they really like and enjoy what it is that Jesus is doing, but they're actually being condescending. And they don't mean any of the stuff that they're saying here to Jesus. Even though they're, they aren't being sincere, uh, what they're saying is absolutely true, though. Jesus doesn't care about these opinions, these outward signs, and he is standing firm for what God has said and done. It's absolutely true, but they don't actually believe it. So here's the problem. When they ask this question, is is what's called a false dichotomy. And that's a big word that means this is a situation where you have two alternative points 
of view that are presented. You've got two points of view that are presented. Uh, one, uh, and it disregards uh, any other alternatives. And so they make it sound like you got two choices and only two choices. They pit two things together that don't necessarily have to be pitted against one another. These aren't the only choices that we have available. That is what's called a false dichotomy, and that's exactly what they're doing here. If you need some examples, um, here even today uh, in, in our government or in Chicago, what we see is the, the discussion about what we should do about our schools. They say, well, if you want better schools, then you have to raise taxes. Is that the only alternatives that we have? In order to get better schools, we have to raise taxes? Well, what about spending the existing tax money more efficiently? What about doing the things that we, we said we're going to do with the tax money and putting it in the right places? What about getting more qualified teachers? There's so many other options that we have here. Or there's a, a saying is you, you're either part of the solution or part of the problem. It's, is that really how it works? There's only one or the other? There's no room for an innocent bystander. I just walked in the room. How do, what do you mean? I don't even know what's happening here. I got to choose a side? You're either for us or against us? Or what about would you invest? Would you rather invest in the future or enjoy your money now? I got to choose one of those? Why not both? Can, can I enjoy what, what I have now, what I'm doing now, and plan for the future? That's not possible. Would you rather keep your job or be with an honest boss? So if I stay at my job, I can't have an honest boss? Again, why not both? And this will hit home. Uh, Donald Trump or Joe Biden? And we already know the outcome of the election, but that wasn't the only choice. And we can talk about throwing away your vote and all that kind of stuff, but what about Howie Hawkins or Joe Jurgensen or Kanye West, right? They were on the ticket. <laughs> it's a false dichotomy, whether you wanted to, to go through it or not. The question that's posed to Jesus is, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay this or not? You pit these two things against each other and it's unnecessary. The, the Romans, what they did was they counted the, the citizens and they made each one pay an annual uh, tax of one denarius. So this was kind of a, a property tax that, that we know and enjoy here in Illinois. Um, and it was uh, an oppressive Roman emperor that, that instituted these things, kind of similar again to what we have here in Illinois. So, but if you dare to refuse to pay the taxes, it would, call, it would be as if you were in rebellion to Rome itself. I mean, so if it wasn't really a, a choice to some extent, they would see you as being rebellious to a Caesar. And on the other hand, some people view this willingness to pay taxes, they viewed it as a, a compromise of their devotion to God and the state. So either you were in rebellion or you compromised your views and your walk with God And if you did pay taxes. For Jews, it was a constant reminder of being under Rome's rule of thumb. So Jesus, if he said to pay it, the people would call him a traitor. 
But on the other hand, if he said not to pay it, he could be arrested and tried by the Roman government for inciting a rebellion. So they got him. They got him in his corner. Either we pay him or you don't. Hey, what do you say, Jesus? Where are you going to go? And Jesus is calculating this. Well, he's probably not. I mean, Jesus knows. If it were me, I would be calculating it in my head. Like, so this is what's going to happen, weigh the options. But we know what is true. To them, he's like, okay, we got him. There's no winning this for him. No matter what option he chooses, he's going to lose. There's no winning. We see this in the, the separation of, uh, of church and, and, and state, or in the church from state is, is what it is. And we have this thing convoluted as to, to what it is and what it means and what it looks like. But all forms of Christian churches throughout the world support some kind of separation between the matters of the church and the matters of the state. And on one hand, the totalitarian governments, they, they try to suppress the church and they subsume everything um, under the realm of the state. So everything is the state's. But historically, when the church and the state have become too closely aligned, what we've seen in history is the result that most often has been a compromise of the church. When there's too much in, 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 integration between the two, one has to give. And historically, we've seen that it's typically the church that gives way. Jesus, as he's having this discussion in verse 15, he says, knowing their hypocrisy. Again, I will be calculating this and like, well, hey, they, they said a lot of cool stuff and maybe they don't understand who I am and what I'm trying to do. But Jesus, knowing his, their hypocrisy, says to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. I love the, the, the kind of teacher that Jesus is. Uh, to, to explain things. And sometimes they say, if you can't explain it to a three-year-old, then you really don't understand it. And Jesus is, is, is uh, very good at this, breaking down these particular lessons to drive the point home very quickly and purely. So if, as I'm going through this, and, and if it were me, or even growing up, like, why are you trying to do this to me? Why are you trying to paint me in the corner? Why do I have to choose? But Jesus knows exactly what they're trying to do. Now, a denarius, it was a small silver coin, and it was minted by the Roman emperor. And it was equivalent to a day's wage for any common laborer or soldier. And on one side of the coin was likely an image of the current emperor who would be um, Tiberius. Jesus says, Come, give me, give me a denarius and let's look at what it says. In verse 17, it says, render, uh, well, first and 16, it says, uh, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to him, well, give to Caesar the thing that belongs to Caesar. If that's his inscription, that's who made it, that's who brought it. Give it back to him. But goes on to say, and the things of God that are God's. The things that God has given you, the things that God has made, give it back to him. 
give back to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and God the things that are God's. This word that is translated as render, it literally means in the Greek to, to pay or give back. Just give it back. What's communicated is that a debt is owed. And we see this by uh, what was instituted in Rome. Uh, this was a tax that you, you had to pay. It's a debt. You, you owe it. Give it back. Everyone was obligated to return the taxes that they were owed to Caesar. And notice that Jesus doesn't provide any commentary about uh, whether the current government was just or unjust. No commentary whatsoever. He just says, pay what it was owed. Give it back to Caesar. Much like the IRS, this was not optional. They were going to come for you if you did not pay it. Effectively, Jesus declares that citizens are under divine obligation to pay taxes to whatever government is owed over him, as much as it might hurt. The reality is that Jesus or God has ordained the family, He's ordained the church, and the, He's ordained the government, and it has a right to levy taxes, and we have the responsibility to obey it. First Peter two and thirteen says this: "But be uh, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor or as supreme." or governors as they sent by to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom to cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. You say this on Facebook today. People have all kinds of words for you. What do you mean? Honor the government. Love your brotherhood. But don't you, don't you know what they did? Don't you know what they stand for? This is not the view that we have here these days. We see similar writings from Paul as well, even though they lived under the lunatic emperor of Nero. Nero was an atrocious emperor. Just You talk about throwing your weight around and, and killing people upon sight. And here's Paul writing some, some things about what, how we should honor our government. If anybody had a right... To, to go against that, it would be him. Most of his writings are in chains while he's in jail. So, is participating in the government sinful or not? It's not necessarily sinful. Christians had a, have a legitimate responsibility to the government as long as it doesn't interfere with our ability to honor and worship God. So if they came here right now and said, we, we take this book away from you, you cannot read any words from 
this scripture, you can't assemble together to pray to this God. I can't abide by that. Look at our brothers and sisters in China who in secret gather together and may I don't know if you've seen the videos on on online of you know they they get one just one Bible. I'm ashamed to say how many Bibles I got. But just one Bible they receive and they're all uh, circling around that person as they open it up and they, they're, they're uh, jumping up and down and, and welling with tears because they can hold God's word in their hand and they know it at any moment, at any second, somebody can bust in and arrest them or even kill them for holding this book that I have in my hand today. They are exemplifying what we're reading about today. If I will follow the government as long as it does not inhibit me from doing what God tells me to do, inhibit me from my relationship with him. We want to talk a big game here in the U.S., but I'm not sure that we will go through the lengths, many of us, that we see our brothers and sisters go through who are legitimately oppressed. legitimately oppressed because of their faith. I like to think that I would be able to stand against and I would do everything that I could and would to do what God has called me to do, but I pray I don't have to find out. The moment we put the government, a political party, politicians or whatever, anytime we put them ahead of our Christian duty and service, this is when we fall into sin. If we shared the gospel as much as we talked about our political candidate this past year, this world would be a much different place. If we talked about King Jesus as much as we talked about President Trump, Man, we would win so many souls. Our lives, our cities, our country would be much, much different. And we wouldn't have to have many of the conversations that we have today. If this was our focus, if this was our aim, if we actually lived out, people want to, hey, I'm a Christian, but are you? Are you truly a Christ follower? Does your life look like what Christ's life looked like? If it did, we would be in a much different place. Like Jesus, we should not fall into this false dichotomy. It's not an either-or proposition. And when we look at the denarius with the image of Caesar imprinted on it, he says, give to Caesar what is rightly his. And at the same time, when Jesus says, give back to God what is God's, as a human created in God's image, we must give back to him what is rightly his. We owe our lives. We owe everything that we have, everything we are to God. Give it back. 
So as we are talking about giving it back, like, Pastor, what do you mean? Uh, what should I give back? Everything. Everything. We're not just talking about monetary figures. We're talking about your time. I'm talking about your talents. I'm talking about your relationships. Your 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 house, your your car, your your quiet time. Everything. Your thoughts, your words. Everything. Your entire life. Give it to him. While we have a duty to the government, we have a much greater duty to God, the God of the universe who created everything that there is. He didn't withhold anything from us. 1 Corinthians 10 and 31 puts it very succinctly, puts it very well. So whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, here we come before you here today. Help us to see in our own lives how we have gone astray, how we have created idols in our lives and we've put things before you, whether it is be uh, anything political or anything having to do with the government or whether it be uh, things that we even consider good, the things that you've given us that are, that are good, but we have uh, propped up to put before you and have created as an idol. Father, uh, reveal those things to us so that we might be able to tear them away. That we put you in the position where you truly are, where you rightly deserve to be. That is at the head of our lives. And that we can do, uh, whether we eat or drink, whatever it is that we do, we can truly and honestly uh, do it as unto you. That we can give back to you what it is that you rightly deserve, the, the honor, the glory. Father, help us to see how gracious you and merciful you've been to us. Let us fall to our knees in thanksgiving for who you are and who you've been. Father, show us how you would have us to utilize what you've given as we're seeking to give back to you. How, how can I uh, use this to uh, uh, help the, the community so that they might know the name of Jesus? How can I use it to help the city so they might know the name of Jesus? How can I use this for our nation, our world, so that they might know the name of Jesus? Help us not to hold anything back. Sure, the taxes and everything, whatever it is that we are to render unto Caesar pales in comparison to what you've done for us and what we owe you. Father, help us to stand on that. Continue to shape us and mold us into your image, Father. And I thank you for all these things, things in Jesus' name. Amen.